season finale. Woohoo! Woohoo! We made it to 10. That was a big woohoo. Mommy went off the charts. Oh my goodness. Was I too loud? <sighs> yes. But that's okay because we made it. Well, is there such a thing as you being too loud because you just have the most beautiful, wonderful voice in the world and how could there be too much of it? Oh, Kiki, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Okay. Well, you have my love. Is that enough? More than. Our letters ourselves. This is Kiki Almeida. And this is Mick Cardoza, her mother. And this is the season finale of season one of Our Letters Ourselves, a podcast where we read the letters from my grandparents and your parents from World War II and do a close reading to try and get at the root of who they are and what they were going through. And try to incorporate a little bit of the history of the time in as well. And we also touch upon just some general themes and topics. Yeah, so this season has covered their letters from January 1943. Yeah, so season two will be February. Yes. Get excited. We'll come back with it in the new year. It is so exciting. And we've really touched upon, I think, some interesting topics and have made some discoveries. And it's been really enlightening. And I know that I feel like I know a little bit more about them. And you certainly knew Nana, but you didn't know Poppy. What do you feel? I just feel such a resounding new appreciation for Nana. You know, Nana and I butted heads a lot. Maybe a little too similar. I used to think it was because we were too different. Now I'm realizing maybe it was because we were too similar. So isn't it really neat you discovering this person, this older person that you knew, you know, your entire life until she passed and you're, you're really meeting her at a very early stage of her life. And she really is a different person, but you're really seeing the wonderful complexity of who she is. Yeah. And it, and it is great to get to know Jack too, because this feels like the first time that I'm having a direct connection with him instead of just learning about him through stories. Mm-hmm. Right. You're hearing from him firsthand, hearing his words. Didn't know he was a poet. I didn't know he was a poet. Yeah. I'm hearing from him firsthand. I'm hearing again, seeing some of myself in him and seeing some of him in me and not just because you're telling me that it's that way. Mm-hmm. So now that you're, meeting them as young people, 18 and 21, different people than you had either heard about or knew. Which parent do you think I'm more like, Jack or Lily? Jack. I think so too. Who do you think I'm more like, Jack or Lily? I think you are a combination. I think that means Lily, but you don't want to admit that I'm not No, I I think you're a combination of the two. I think you have some of Lily's personality and you also have some of Jack's characteristics. So both. Okay. Okay. That was a hedge. That's okay. It's my truth. 
Well, I certainly didn't have all of Lily's wiles, and I wish I did. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but I. But I think I I have her temperament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, wonderful, wonderful journey. Wonderful journey. So we're going to be reading... Ooh. So for the first time, we've gone a little bit out of order with the letters in order to link them with the theme. So yesterday we had a letter from January 30th and a letter from January 31st. And like, for example, we had a letter that Lily wrote in the morning of January 30th yesterday, and we'll have the second letter from that day today. And we think it still overall makes narrative sense, but wanted to do it that way that yesterday could really be about family and today could really be about duty and we'll talk about this more but I think really focusing on Jack's duty and what his literal duties were when in the Coast Guard as well as a little bit of Lily's perception of his duty to him and to the family back home mm-hmm. yes so shall we get to it I think we should so we're going to start with the first letter and it is being written to Lily from Jackie, and it's dated January 29th, 1943. Darling Lily, I hope you are still in good health. I received a letter today. Only once have I received two letters that was on the first day. Today, I am writing at my bunk. Boy, what studying we have to do. I'm going crazy from memorizing. We have to memorize about 60 different flags with different color designs, 26 different flag positions with two flags, the Morse code, 12 lines of a duty sentry, many paragraphs of life-saving and artificial respiration word for word. By now you are an alumni, one I am proud of. Send your picture as quick as you can sign it. Error, send two pictures one class, and one cap and gown. Yesterday I wrote several letters but had no envelopes. I had to borrow them because the canteen was out of them. Today I bummed one to write to you, but tomorrow I will have plenty. Well, I'll be ending saying I love you, and I hope you love me too. Jackie. So that was the first letter for today's episode. And the next two letters... Um, one is the 30th and one is the 31st and the one on the 30th I'm going to read now is from Lily to Jackie. Dearest Jackie, it is 6.30 p.m. and I'm writing to you again. I wrote to you this morning and here I am writing to you again. I really enjoy writing to you. It makes me feel as though you are here. I'm sitting on the divan and I am pretending that you are right next to me. Your hands are cold as usual, and I don't have to say no more. How I wish you were home. I often wonder if I am missed by you, and I want you to write me longer letters. I appreciate your short ones, but after all, I miss you so, and I want to hear more about you. When are you coming home again? As I said before, I hope it is real soon. But don't come if it is only for a short time as it makes me feel worse to see you go right back. Your brother was down with BS today delivering coal. I guess he's got BS working with him now. Your father sent over for your address as he lost the one he had. 
He told me he also wrote to E and others today. A.W. is leaving for Fort Devon Saturday, and he seems to be glad about it. I guess you all are in a hurry to get it over with. Well, it won't be long before the lights all shine all over the world, and you'll come back to me for good. The Brava and Company and A. got your letter today. A. had already written to you, and my mother is writing now. All send their regards, and for me, all the love there is. I'll write tomorrow and send the serviceman's paper. Yours only, Lil. P.S. Remember, I want long letters. She is really on that long letter theme. She just won't give up. Oh, the sweet thing. Okay, so the last letter is dated January 31st, 1943, and it's from Jack to Lily. Darling Lily, I am writing this second letter of the day at six o'clock. Our company just took in the colors. Another fellow and I had guns and bayonets. We stood at present arms, a gun salute while the bugle blew and the flag was lowered. We then escorted the flag inside of the barracks. Tomorrow we will raise it. It is a beautiful, intense sight. I had a proud feeling while the flag was lowered. All day we shoveled snow. It was fun. I am a supernumerate, meaning I can be called on for work at any time. Companies take turns at this. Tonight I'm sacking in early because I think they will wake us up at four o'clock tomorrow. Again, I will say that I wish I was home on M Street with you. I miss you very much, but I wonder if you feel that way. I only hope you do. Well, I'll close drowning you in my love, Jackie. Okay, Kiki, there we have it. Yeah, and I'm glad we have another nice poetic closing from Jack to end our letters from this month. So let's let's dig in. I should have noted earlier, this is also right, Jack's second letter of January 31st. We would have read his first one in our last episode. Right. So listeners, if you hate going out of chronological order for the sake of theme, please let us know. Like, we want your feedback on this. We want your feedback on the format and what's easiest for you to help you understand the story and these people. Right. And I think you said it in the last episode, but we're just getting to the point where they're starting to answer one another's letters. So you're starting to see more of a dialogue, but because there might be delays or one might write a little quicker than the other, there's overlap anyway. So I guess going forward, we'll try our best to identify when it might be in response to a former letter that was read in a previous episode and just try to make sense of the progression of the of the dialogue in the relationship. Definitely. So Jack's first letter, January 29th, 1943. Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty short letter, uh, four paragraphs. And in the first half, I think we get just more of a sense of how much is expected of him and how much he has to learn. And, I know that being called to war and especially being called to World War II is requiring a lot of you, but 
when we're learning about it in history, we don't get a strong appreciation for how much mental work it is too, aside from just, you know, missing your family and being away from home, like the memorization and all of the new skills and languages and things that just everybody has to take on is incredible. Yes. And I, I think it's your typical boot camp type experience. So they're really trying to indoctrinate them into the schedule and the routines and while also teaching them the knowledge that they need so that they can immediately go overseas and do the jobs that they're being trained to do. Yeah. And I think part of that is the media and I don't watch many war movies, but definitely most of the portrayals in boot camp that I see are very focused on the physical aspect Maybe you get a little bit with like assembling and disassembling weapons, but there really isn't an emphasis on the intellectual aspect of it. Right. Which is what he's very much going through. He's been talking for a while and congratulating Lily on her graduation, saying that he's proud of her. But the description here when he's saying, you know, you're an alumni now, what I'm proud of. And then being very specific about wanting two different pictures portraying her graduation was the first time that it really struck to me. Just he's not just saying this like he really is very proud of her. And I found that beautiful. Yes. Yeah. He wants pictures of his girl so that I think he can enjoy looking at them because he misses her so. And clearly they're openly expressing love for one another But I think he wants to be able to show the other fellows, as he calls them, you know, pictures of his girl. Because I think that was probably a big part of the socialization of the young men, you know, showing the pictures of the women that they were either going steady with or married to. Yeah, and it wasn't just like snapshots or glamour shots. He wants her Mm -hmm. as an academic. Yes. Yeah. And just again with the letter, uh, the... Saga of the envelopes. Well, remember, these are out of order, so I'm not sure if we got the um, the answer. True. So this was an earlier letter than what we had read. But yeah, so it's just one more em- one more letter talking about the envelopes. Yeah, just again, I think focuses on how we can kind of fixate on these small things. Mm-hmm. Lily's letter so maybe isn't a question very specific to our family. What is a divan? Devon? A sofa. Just any sofa? Is it like a love seat, a chaise? I think it's just, I don't think it's a love seat. I think it's just a sofa. I mean, that's what I remember it being. Well, if that's what you remember it being, it's probably what she meant it as, even if that's not the literal definition. Actually, I'm just looking it up. A divan is a piece of couch-like sitting furniture or in some regions a box spring based bed so looking at some of the images it looks more like a chase lounge but I don't recall that being in the house but maybe I mean it was quite a few years before I came around so it could have been yeah you definitely aren't 80 years old no I'm not (laughs) 
surprising to me. And maybe she wrote cod. And I thought she had written coal. But I was pretty sure the word was coal. That Jackie's brother would have been delivering coal. Do you know what that might have been? Actually, I'm not sure if it was cod because he was working for my grandfather. Or if he was really delivering coal because he had a job elsewhere. I don't know if he was working in the family business at that point. Okay, maybe we'll post a picture of this part of the letter and our listeners can help us figure out cod or coal. Okay. We also later in this paragraph see a little bit of what we talked about in a recent episode with more people in the neighborhood heading out and how it's just continuing to snowball the people and families affected. And I found it was very interesting that she said, I guess you are, you are all in a hurry to get it over with. And that is her interpretation. But I can certainly see, right, if you're just waiting for your time to leave, you might just want to leave so you can come back. I think so. I think so. I think there's an expectation. The sooner you, you get there, the sooner you'll come home. And that was really hopeful. Because, unfortunately, a lot of young men did not come home. And I don't think the gravity of going to war is she's really embraced it for her to be saying something like that. I would agree. I think, I don't know that we get a strong impression that either of them fully understand the gravity of it yet. No, I don't think they do. He may be, but he just may not be communicating it. But clearly she does not. A and her mother finally got their letters. For all the talk about how they weren't getting letters, it was it was a flyby. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's interesting um, because I get so emotional reading different parts of these letters. And maybe it's because it's unexpected and it's just so tender and sweet and loving. And in some other cases, it might be because I can hear their voices and I miss them. But there is a letter that my grandmother writes to Jackie that is in the collection that just brought me to tears. Because I could just hear my grandmother's voice. It's really beautiful. I look forward to that letter. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have the letters that Jackie wrote to either my grandmother or to A or to other family members. But it's just really sweet having the letters that he received. So they were in his bundle. Yeah, that makes sense. It wouldn't have been in their household. Mm -hmm. It would have been in your grandmother's or A's. Right. Jack's letter has, Jack's final letter from January 31st has two particularly poignant moments for me. One was that he was talking about shoveling snow and he calls it fun. And he talks about going to the movies with the cook in an earlier letter. He talks about swimming when he gets the earache and implies that he enjoyed that but I think this is the first time he's really like without qualification 
or at least it wasn't cleaning the toilets, enjoyed where he is and in the moment. You're right. And I can't help but wonder, is it because he was outdoors and even though it may have been cold, the fresh air and who was he shoveling snow with? Were they actually um, being given the chance to sort of horse around and just have fun with one another? But it makes you feel good to know that he was having fun. Yeah, he at least he had a moment of happiness. He did. He did. And one of the things that struck me with this last letter that he wrote that we just read is his sense of duty. I think for the first time was really communicated his patriotic duty and how he became a little overwhelmed as part of the lowering of the flag. Just the whole, you know, ceremony that surrounds that and how he said that, you know, when he heard the Star Spangled Banner being played, that um, it really impacted him. And I love the way he said, it is a beautiful, intense sight. So very descriptive. You know, for him to say it was beautiful was, was, that struck me. I agree. That was the second poignant moment for me, just him, I think, really embracing and being and expressing in the letters and to Lily and therefore to us for the first time the pride in what he's doing. Yes. You're going to pick up on duty more in the sense that we're seeing now from Jack when you share your research with us. And so before we segue into that, I'll talk a little bit about what I chose for duty. And so in thinking about duty, immediately what came to me was maybe a little self-centered, but what I consider to be the primary duty that you raised me with in terms of patriotism, and that is voting. Yes. I started, started to bring you into the voting booth from, oh my goodness, you were an infant probably. Yeah. To this, to this day, election day is one of my favorite days of the year. I like to wear red, white, and blue. I get my sticker. Always puts me in a good mood. It does. It does. It's a privilege to vote. And you're right. You feel good because you're participating in the democratic process. Yeah, and I think especially for for us and kind of acknowledging the full history of our country, voting is not something that I would have always been able to do. So just gratitude that I can now and to all the people who have made that possible. So I'm talking about voting and why maybe not everyone feel such a strong affinity for voting and why the social science and certainly my opinion would indicate that you should and that it is important and that it does matter. Voting is the best way to show your voice. There are a lot of other great ways, but it is the the very first step and what I would consider to be the primary foundation. The issue of voting is what is considered a collective action problem. 
So a collective action problem is something where everyone participating is in everyone's best interest, but everyone can still get the benefit as long as most people participate. And so therefore, as an individual, you don't technically have to, and you can argue that it's in your personal interest not to participate because you'll still get the benefit. But if everyone did that, the benefit disappears. Very interesting. So an example would be if you're living with other people in a household of two or more taking out the trash. Everyone benefits if the trash gets taken out. But everyone doesn't need to take out the trash in order for the trash to get taken out. Mm -hmm. If no one ever takes out the trash, the trash doesn't get taken out. No one gets the benefit. Really good example. It's the same with voting. It's in our best interest if everyone votes so elections can be representative. I live in New York. You can make the argument that, at least in presidential elections, New York is going to go one way. And therefore, it doesn't really matter whether or not you vote. But if everyone, you know, on the blue side took that approach, it would go red. And if everyone on the red side took that approach, they just would never have any chance, especially in the off chance that all the blues stop voting. So it's it's tricky and it can be very convincing not to vote. There are a couple of reasons why I think despite this collective action problem and even in a world where you live in a state like New York and things are almost guaranteed, your vote still matters. Certainly, sometimes a vote can tip the scale. In national elections, when you live in a swing state, this is very true. Think about Florida in 2000 or Georgia in 2020. Biden won Georgia by a margin of 0.23% or 11,000 votes. Mm, Closer to Mm 12,000. And in any state, not just swing states, that's true in primaries, it's true in local elections, it's true in things like midterms, which are still national elections, but don't get the same turnout as presidential elections. Your vote can make a difference. Definitely, like, for your city council person, your vote matters. Yes, it does. The second reason, other than just straight electoral results why voting is so critical is because of politician behavior. So for better or worse, what social science tells us and political science tells us, shout out to my man, Polly Sai again. <laughs> Just, I'll never be able to say the word political science without thinking about Polly Sai. It's a great handle. It's a great handle. Um, the greatest determining factor in politicians behavior and what we see politicians care about the most is getting reelected and they behave in a way that gets them reelected they get reelected by winning votes you can't please everybody so when you're strategizing and we're considering where to focus a lot of money is spent and a lot of very smart people sit down and figure out number one who actually votes And then policies are passed to target those people. 
Yes. So think about like, you don't really see a lot of laws getting passed that 16-year-olds want, unless it's something that their parents really want to. They don't vote. Who cares? By the time they can, they'll care about different things. We see a lot of things focused on more senior populations because they're more likely to vote. If the politicians are targeting based on who votes, why wouldn't we want them to at least know we're voting? And then if it becomes a world where every demographic is vote, if it becomes a world where every demographic is voting, every demographic is showing up, then everybody has to be taken into account. It's not, it's almost second order, right? So first, it's just you have your voice heard and we have slightly more representative elections if everybody's voting. And then on top of that, we're encouraging the people in power to pass policies that truly do benefit most people because most people are voting. That's it. That's my soapbox. I'll get off it. Register to vote. Vote in your elections. Voting is super important. There are other things that are important too making your voice heard, participating in protests or demonstrations, and just generally being civically active, right? Not necessarily giving to politicians, but giving to causes that you care about, where you're able, whether that's money, whether it's time, whether it's intention, advocacy, right? There are so many ways to get involved, but as far as I'm concerned, and I think not just me, quite a few people, and I didn't come up with this concept. Voting is the first step. It is. It is. I I often hear the advice given, if you don't like the behavior of a politician or a group of politicians, or if an issue is important to you, and you want particular laws passed, or you want changes made, then you need to get out and you need to vote. For all the reasons you just said, the more people who vote, the more people need to be heard. Yeah, and I'm not just trying to say vote harder or put everything on the electorate, right? Like politicians do have a responsibility too. They are civil servants. They should be serving us no matter what. But voting holds them accountable. Voting holds them accountable and it is the first step. It is. I've taught you well. I'm going to go back to my glass of wine because it's the season finale. It's a special occasion. And listen to what you have to say about it. And we're duty. celebrating. Woohoo. Maybe it's because of Jackie's letter or just the fact that we are reading all of these letters from World War II and we're learning about our family's life during that time and their sense of duty during that time. So I decided to focus on the more general theme of patriotic duty and in trying to figure out what what direction I was going to take with this you know just scouring through you know various sources in articles online I came across an opinion piece that was published in the Denver Post on the day January 20th 2009 which was the day of President Obama's first inauguration. And it reads as follows. We salute the flag of the United States of America and the Republic for which it stands. 
The founders created a republic, and republics throughout history have always depended on citizen duty and public participation. John Kennedy's call to do something for our country, and Barack Obama's insistence that we seize gladly performance of our duties to our nation come directly out of that ancient heritage. This is not a liberal nor a conservative idea. Duty is a patriotic idea, an idea that extends well beyond military service in wartime. It includes paying reasonable taxes for demanded public services. It includes commitment to the noble ideal of equality and justice for all, usually described as America's promise. President Obama simply reminds us that we live in a republic that insists that we earn our rights by performance of our duties. And that was the published opinion piece on that day. And when I read this, this really resonated with me. I think it's important to acknowledge that while this reflects my idea of patriotic duty, patriotism does mean different things to different people. And as such, there's really a lot of discussion and debate and discourse, sometimes civil and sometimes not, about what patriotism is, and a lot of opinions about other people's actions, their beliefs, and their expressions, and whether or not they're deemed to be patriotic or unpatriotic. As I think about that, I really find the non-civil discourse, unproductive and polarizing. And this notion that it's all or nothing doesn't resonate with me. And I don't think that it really is true to the ideal of what true patriotic duty is and what patriotism is. And again, this is my opinion. I don't believe that being a patriot mandates unquestioned allegiance to America. And I do not believe that criticizing or protesting an injustice is unacceptable and somehow indicative of a lack of patriotism. Because I consider myself to be patriotic. I love my country and I try to fulfill my duty. And as you said, I tried to instill that in you in many ways. And I was really glad to hear you talking about the importance of voting. I respect those who have served our country in the military and who have sacrificed their lives for our country. I honor them. I proudly fly the American flag on my house, but I respect the decision of others who may not feel the same way. And that's what America is built on, that ideal. I value the diversity of my country, in my country, and I accept those who are different from me, and I try to understand perspectives that are different than mine. I also believe that I have a responsibility to care for those who need to be cared for, and that I should work for the good of all. I also recognize the atrocities of our country, past and present, domestic, and abroad. I openly discuss what I deem to be injustices or things that are just plain wrong and need to be fixed or need to be stopped. And I try to figure out how I personally 
Mick Cardoza can do something to make it better, to contribute. So with that in mind, I'd like to pay honor to perhaps or just discuss someone who I believe was a great American and patriot. And again, that's my humble opinion, but I think it's an opinion shared by the masses. He is someone who loved his country and devoted his life to service and to fight injustices and make this country a better place for all of its citizens, all of its citizens. He is John Lewis, and he was a shining example of how one can be both a protester and a patriot. John Lewis spent his early years fighting to make the gross injustices of racial discrimination that our government had been perpetuating on its own people for centuries. He was the youngest of the big six, which were Reverend Martin Luther King's League of Leaders, who pioneered the civil rights movement. John Lewis, over and over, risked his personal safety and freedom in his unrelentless rallying cry in actions for justice. And as a result, he sustained multiple arrests and great physical harm. I actually near fatal injuries. He then went on to Congress. So he made the decision that the way he was going to continue to fight for justice and the good for all and to make this country that he loved better, he was going to become part of um, one of the most powerful institutions um, that this country has, Congress. And he often used the same strategies he used as a young protester. Most famously organizing a sit-in in the House chamber to protest Congress's lack of response to growing gun violence. And that's only one example. And when he passed away, he drew praise for his patriotism from both sides of the aisle where he spent so much time of his life. In both blue and red states across the nation flew their flags at half-mast to honor this great man. He made good trouble to make the country that he loved better. And one of his quotes really resonated with me. And let me read it to you, Kiki. Thank you. Freedom is not a state. It is an act. It is not some enchanted garden perched high on a distant plateau where we can finally sit down and rest. Freedom is the continuous action we must all take, and each generation must do its part to create an even more fair, more just society. I think powerful words. So then that made me think, okay, so what do we do to ensure that we're making future generations be like John Lewis? How do we teach children to have a strong sense of patriotic duty despite our country's shortcomings? How do they love the country that they live in, that they're a citizen of, but recognize that its history hasn't always been great? There have been things that you aren't proud of and that there are things that currently might be happening that you may not be proud of, but still have a duty to this country to make it better. And so I came across a really fun article um, by a woman named Megan Kruger, and it was in a parent publication. 
And she had compiled recommended things um, that teachers recommended parents do. So they were mini lessons for parents to teach their children about the values, the history and the customs of our country and how to instill patriotism in them. So I want to give a shout out to the teachers. So there were two social studies teachers that she referenced, Amy Van Ewen and Lori Lingenderfer. And I am so sorry for butchering that name from Plymouth Canton Community Schools, West Middle School, as well as some elementary school teachers from Rochester Community Schools. So they talked about things like learning the Pledge of Allegiance, what you should do during the national anthem. But what I thought was also important that they included was taking the opportunity when using the national anthem to explain the right to assemble and why some citizens are participating in taking a knee, those protests that are against police brutality and racism. I just want to say I think that's a really good point because I am not a person that's particularly attached to the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. But I do think you have to understand the symbol, the symbol, the symbolism of them is important and understanding it is important so that you can understand why protests during them are so important. Absolutely. That's exactly the point. Next, it's honoring soldiers. And I think we've talked about that quite a bit, particularly because we're reading you know, these letters from World War Two, that it's really important that, you know, we recognize the brave Americans serving in the military for our country, or who have served in the past. And so they should learn to honor soldiers who have served or died. They stressed teaching children our basic freedoms. Freedoms such as those outlined in the Bill of Rights, It's important that they learn that everybody has the freedom to hold different opinions and beliefs. So often, especially for kids, they want everyone to be like them. And they are not quite sure how to sometimes take people who are different. But if we don't teach them that it's okay to be different and they have a responsibility to understand and to respect those differences then they're going to be at a disadvantage and not be able to have the really important conversations that they'll need to have as adults. Okay, next, our responsibility as citizens, how it's so important to be an active, involved citizen, and how that's the best way to support our country and to keep it strong. Teaching them what it means to be a good citizen, things like that we've already discussed, voting, paying attention to issues, especially in your community. Parents can volunteer. They can have children see and understand the importance of their charity, the importance of their work, their time, giving of their money, supporting others. That helps to create a kind and just citizenry where we care about one another, where we respect one another and we can coexist with one another and those who are different from us. Making history come to life, going to museums. When you're on vacation, 
trying to check out some historical sites, just making history come alive. I wish my parents had done that for me, quite honestly, because as a child, I, I didn't like history. It was rote memorization. It didn't mean anything to me. I, mem- I memorized facts, but I didn't really embrace history until I became much older. Next, appreciating our diversity. We are a great melting pot. We all bring, our, our various cultures bring so much. We, we have to make sure that we are accepting of all people and we need to teach our children to value diversity, to understand how significant that is to the success of this country, to the success of our businesses. Um, if we're going to be successful globally and not just look internally, we need to understand, we need to know how to embrace other people and interact with them. And lastly, and I think we talked about this earlier, to understand that this country isn't perfect. We are not perfect. People are not perfect. We we need our children to understand that our history has things that we're not proud of that shouldn't have happened. And it's really having these tough conversations and again, age appropriate, but getting them to understand because if they get an understanding at a young age and grow up with that and continue to have conversations, continue to look for solutions to make this country better, continue to advocate like John Lewis did and stand up for what's right, it makes it a lot harder for some of the atrocities of the past to be repeated as we move forward into the future. That's my soapbox. (laughs) Yeah, we're both on some soapboxes. Thank you for listening to our show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ourletterspod, and you can send us an email at ourletterspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support the show, please subscribe or follow us and leave us a review. And don't forget to tell everyone and their mother about your new favorite program. Names and some details have been changed to protect us from our family. Our Letters Ourselves is written by Mick Cardoza and Kiki Almeida based on the letters of Jack and Lily Cardoza. At least I will do my utmost to tr- We also, later in this palette... Mm.